0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: You are back in the House of Mystery, and we are at the interview part of the show. A room is crowded today, but everyone is socially distanced, so don't worry. We're protecting ourselves and each other. Um, so, um, let's see, let's go through the crowd. We've got, uh, of course, uh, little Dave Martin. <laughs> um, Hello, everyone. Being us the co-host. And we, and now, uh, so we've got also, um, a returning guest. He just likes being here. I think he hangs out here at night, actually. Um, and, uh, we'll call him Rick, Mr. Sooty Rick Caratosh. How are you doing, Rick?
0: I'm doing good. How are you guys doing?
1: Good. Good. Excellent. Good, good. I'm glad you're wearing clothes today. Um, and, and now you brought us, uh, you brought us guests before and you're bringing us another one here and he's an author of a new book called changing the stars. It's a memoir. And um, that's Cody Renniger. Thank you for being here, Cody.
2: Yeah, it's great to be here.
1: Well, you say that now. <laughs> uh, wait till the end of the show. Um, before we get that. So, um, Let's just start out with 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 Rick here, Rick. Um, so, what was it about Cody that made you uh, first of all bring him to our show, and also to help uh, help him out uh, with his uh, his new book?
0: Yes. Well, I, actually, I saw Cody in a movie <laughs> uh, several years ago called Hollywood to Dollywood that uh, Gary and Larry Lane did, and his part in the in the documentary was very moving. It about him and his relationship with his young son, I think was four or five, and he was raising his kid as a gay father, and how accepting the chi- uh, his son Levi was and everything. And I was so moved by that, I actually called him to interview him for my book Rainbow Relatives, which was on speaking to kids about LGBTQ families and friends. So, and he did that. So he was in there, and then we became friends. And then he was, uh, you know, had so many stories of his life that people told him to write a book. So he. I'd written two books, so he thought I was an expert or something <laughs> but um so anyway, I, I was happy to help him with the little that I knew and helped him to a little bit direct him in the right path and he'll tell you a little bit more you yeah. know about the book and everything but uh we had fun working on it a little bit and i i think it's it's really a lot of people are reacting great to it, so I'm so happy that he's getting that reaction and it his story was really um it was it was fun to be a part of it it, it was inspiring for me to
1: help him and to see what it's doing with other people. Yeah, and, and for recent too, there's been so much stress going on around the world and, and especially in the States. I see a lot of people or I can't help but think of the song Under Pressure and this sort of uh, reminds me of how much pressure people are uh, under and we don't realize it when we see them on the street or we pass them in the shopping mall or on the bus or whatever. We don't always realize what other people are are living through, so it's an important story in that way. Um, so Cody, um, we're all talking about you, um, yes, sir. So, um, so this before we get into the story, it's quite a story and what you went through. Let's talk about um, what was the reason for you to write this book? Like, why did you actually want to put it down on paper in words? For you know, because I you you have to realize that you're exposing yourself, you're kind of um, like I say, when we pass someone on the street, we don't always know what their life is about. We we can't really judge them. We don't know. But you're kind of laying all your cards on the table, so to speak. You're letting people know your vulnerability your kind of what you've been through. Um, why do that?
2: Well, you know, I think I kind of do that and, and I have done that for a while in life. I think I've I've been subconsciously kind of looking back and reaching back, trying to um, get more people to kind of embrace life and, and especially the ones that have had uh, a, a traumatic youth and abuse and abused um, youth and I, I really have a passion for those since that was a lot of my life so I think I've been trying to do that for a long time and uh, and every time I would sit and speak with someone try to help they'd say wow you, were, you should write a book and I know everybody says that I mean people say that to each other often and, and so I never I just kind of blew it off and I'm like well I'm I'm here and I'm helping now. So anyway, so I ended up doing that movie and then I did some other um, stuff that was kind of in the, very much in the public eye. And so I think I finally realized that I had some attention and I had a platform that where I, it was, it was just time to write this book where I could help a lot of people with one fell swoop instead of one by one, as I had been doing, um, or hopefully I had been doing I hope... I hope I've been giving proper advice about this <laughs> all this time. I may have wrecked for some lives, but I, yeah. um, <laughs> if they're listening but to no, this show, they probably are. are. Yeah. So the reason <laughs> I, I wanted to do this was just to, um, just to try to help and try to pull, you know, get people. I don't, they say misery likes company, but my, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm like happiness loves company. I want everybody else to be, you know, as, as alive and embracing life as, as I am. So, Maybe that's why I did it. Um and you're right the putting that all of this out there the first week whenever we hit that button to launch my book I re- and I am not one that um ever really deals with anxiety or I I deal with it but I just really don't hang on to it. I don't ha- I don't get anxious and, but what the moment we the moment we push that button I my heart palpitated. I was just um trying to keep myself contained because I felt so unbelievably vulnerable and exposed. And I just thought, wow, I just put all of my darkest moments out into the world for everyone to hear and to judge and to come back with their own opinions. And I just didn't know how it was going to go until just a few days later, I started getting these messages tr- uh, trickling in that were just overwhelmingly uh, powerful in saying how much just me being that vulnerable. And I think, it might be a lesson for me later in life, and maybe a lesson for others to just you know take that chance on on being invulnerable because since then two and a half weeks later, I have gotten many, many messages of people sharing with me their own trauma and telling um and I, I don't think I've mentioned in this book' it's kind of like a handbook i I talk about all the things that happened, but then after each chapter, I kind of tell you what I did and how I changed and where my mindset was to to just i don't know i just didn't want it to be all doom and gloom I wanted it to be. Um, some doom and then I will show you how to get out of it I help you you know I show you the pits I was in and then I show you how I got out and then I also mentioned how you can do that so it's more of a a guidebook to happiness really if you were to sum it up Um, so yeah so being vulnerable was scary but it was worth it you know sometimes um, some of the scariest some of the best things in my life have scared the crap out of me at first and this was definitely one of them (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I, well, I would think that it's also therapeutic, right? Uh, the, the best thing in the world to do is to be able to talk to someone, or, or talk to someone uh, that you know about things you're you're going through or having challenges with. Um, so, in a way, you, you're just talking openly to people, and uh, and that. What was the hardest thing um, to put in the book? Like, what was the hardest thing that happened to you that um, you felt? Obligated to tell, but it, it was well, it, you know a struggle.
2: I really felt like I had to, you know, there was so much to be honest that I didn't put in the book that I just felt like I really didn't need to bring my readers into those kind of places. I just needed to put just enough darkness to show where I, what I went through, so that I could show the light. So I picked two of the more traumatic um, moments in my life. And one of them was, uh, i really struggled with, um, overcoming this memory of one of my adopted fathers used to tie me up and blindfold me basically naked in a barn and whip me for hours. Um, thinking that they thought that I had demons. They thought that I, they were doing good. In, in fact, I say that, um, you know, this was because I just didn't embrace their, their religion and their lifestyle. Or what's not. But they, um, I, I say that no harm was meant yet harm was done because they thought they were doing good in the name of God. And it just um, was not good. <laughs> it was not good. So that was definitely a memory that I had to uh, struggle with writing because when you do write, you're, you're describing the smells of the room. You're describing the, um, the feel of the room. You're describing the look in your abuser's eyes and though, and then all of a sudden you're back in that moment again and, and, and that it caused. Um, so you asked me of, if this book was therapeutic a moment ago. And I think that I had healed. I had done the legwork and I had really um, delved in. And anytime I saw uh, an emotion or something rise up in myself that was obviously re- resi- residuating pain from my childhood, I would actively heal that. I would do everything I could. Even go to a library, even Google, you know, talk to a counselor, whatever I could just because I did not want that. But I um by writing this book, I feel like it's almost like when you break your leg and it heals, but it didn't heal properly. I feel like um, writing this book was kind of re-breaking that wound, and so and then sw- and having it heal better, smoother, properly. So it was scary, and I didn't expect that. And I didn't, i not, and I thought I was healed all properly at first, but it has been very therapeutic, and also all of these other people reaching out to me. Um has been very therapeutic
1: too how do you how do you feel about the people that you were involved with when you were a kid when you look back at things like your mother or your you know like the uh, the stepfather or the person that was uh, beating you for not understanding or following the religion um, when you look back at these these characters in your life um, what's your feeling towards all of them now
2: um i for some reason I've never um I'm just not made to be a resentful person. I think the hardest part was not being able to protect my siblings from their abuse. That was something that I struggled more so with, but looking back at my abusers even whenever it was happening, I remember at a very early age, and I do mention this in the book that I knew that there was something broken in that person. I never thought they were being vicious or mean. I saw a broken soul and I just there's something inside me that said that this person was wounded and um and that i had to survive them for one thing but i just i just remember looking at such a young age into the eyes of these people and just knowing they were broken so i've never been resentful if anything i i just hope that they got the help that they needed so they didn't hurt anyone else you know um but you i also mentioned that one of the guys that was really really abusive as, as at a younger age I recently found out that he is and has been homeless in Colorado for years. Um, you know, just living on the street. He's, literally, he's a legit homeless person up there. And my first instinct and my first thought was, well, I need to help him. I've mean, got to figure out how to get him some food or make sure he's safe. And then I just kind of stopped in my tracks. I'm like, wait a second. Shouldn't I be, like, plotting my revenge? Or, you know, <laughs> he's an easy target now. You know, something like that. But I, I just didn't. So to me... Um, that really um, showed me that I have healed because I am zero resentment, and I just—if anything—I just have this innate um, passion to make sure that they're not hurting anyone else. So,
1: so how do you look at life now? Like what this this whole thing that you've been through, and now you've sort of put it all in a book, you put it all out there, and it, it, it's all exposed how how do you how do you carry on with your life now what's what's different about your life since
2: you've written the book well that's been it's just i kind of thought I was going to write the book launch it send it out into the world and it would do its thing you know but since then i I've been kind of um nursing it and nurturing it and trying to get it as far as i can and I think that I am normally a very happy person I think this has just Reignited a fire inside me, a, an extra happiness, if you will, um, because now I, I'm truly getting to do what I've always wanted to do, and that is inspire and heal. And um, um, I know that sounds so cheesy, but that's just who, how I'm built. I just, I'm just really getting really excited about what might come of this. And I've already been asked to speak at two different conferences, and and um, there's a magazine here that's done a. Has done the seven-page article on me, and they said that that they that the world needs optimism right now, and I seem to have a bit of that. So they did this entire spread on me, and I just feel like I'm 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 in a position now to um, help more people, and that's all I've ever wanted to do. But then I, I know that there's a certain responsibility that comes with that. and Now I'm I'm kind of questioning myself and thinking, am I strong enough? Am I equipped to say these things? I'm not a psychologist. I'm not as I'm not a dog. I'm not. I'm you know I'm just somebody i'm just a witness to my own life and and how i overcame it so i think that i'm just i'm just really excited about what might come out of this and i'm ready for it i'm here for it
1: you no know, it's an interesting title you chose changing the stars that's sort of to me that that kind of um is like saying that uh um there's a certain fate lined up for you but you can change that um is that true or
2: absolutely that, i mean, it's, of course, that's relative uh, to an extent, but I got that title from a movie, uh, A Knight's Tale, I'm sure many have seen, and in that movie, this this boy was very poor and his dad sends him off um, to work for a knight and he kind of tells him as he scurries off to change his stars and so he comes back, that boy comes back like 20 years later and he's now a knight and he's conquered the world and all of London is chanting his name and he finds his father his biological father, and he walks in and, and he said, I've changed my stars, and he completely changed his destiny. And something just about that, um, just I recognize my heart, my soul recognized, and I think it's just kind of um, reverberated inside me every since. So it was an easy title to choose.
1: How is it? Now you, you've got a son, so how is it for your son? How is all of this um, re, for your relationship with your own son? I think, well, he told me that
2: when he read the book, he and his um, life partner over here read the book. They have three beautiful kids and, and I'm sitting here at their house right now visiting in Arkansas. Um, but he said that it was like reading a movie that, he, or watching a movie that he'd seen two or three times already because he kind of grew up with all of these um, stories about, you know, that I've told him and I've used as life lessons along the way while raising him. So, I think he, and I know he's really proud of me. He's told me several times how proud he is of me for doing this and being so vulnerable. And it is a little bit odd because some of the things in that, my book are, are um, very, very personal. And, and for my son to read it and know, I think it just made make gives him an, an even more or even more of a respect for me. Um, and I'm always just trying to be a, you know, just a guide the best I can through life for him. So, I think it for me it feels like I'm able to just lead him a little bit more by just sharing and showing him how vulnerability can um be a very good thing
1: so what do you think the good thing is that you that's come out of your life um there, was it all bad or was there some good things that came out of your childhood well the things
2: that i that, i mean they gave me an amazing tool belt to live the best life i can and as i I was saying earlier i've now i've i've um I mingle with some of the the most educated, most interesting people on this planet. And I would not have had been able to even sit in a room with these people had I not been at a certain foster home that whether it was good or bad, it, it still taught me how to behave properly in public. It, Cause I was like a little, you know, I was living under a bridge before we were basically little wild animals. So I think some of these things helped refine me a little bit. It kind of made me become a, a chameleon where I can, Blend in any crowd. I'm also, since we were homeless, um, it gave me an extreme passion just to travel. And I've now been around the world twice and I travel the globe and you know, just fully embrace traveling and, and new cultures and new people. And, and I think I wouldn't have done that had my uh, mother not been homeless. We would have just, you know, I would have probably put roots down somewhere. And, but to me, I just, it kind of set me on the go and I haven't stopped since. That's well, definitely been a plus.
1: Oh, God, yeah. And just just the fact that you got to meet Rick, there's... <laughs> yeah, Rick's <laughs> I mean, fantastic. I you could go through anything for that.
0: That's you worth know, a million Rick. dollars right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like anybody <laughs> could write a book if they have a Rick. Because I, when I met Rick, I literally had just compiled all of my memories into no particular order. I would just sit there next to my fireplace with a glass of wine and just write and write and write and write everything about that memory I could. And so when I came to Rick, I basically came with him with an armful of of mess, and I was like, help me put this into a book. So he ended up streamlining it all, getting it uh, chronologically in order, and then um, helped me smooth out all the lines and allowed me, he basically built the coloring book and allowed me to fill it full of color. Oh, I hope he treated you treat I good. Mean, That's, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, he was nice sometimes. Yeah, well, He's sometimes,
1: nice. yeah. I see. I <laughs> <laughs> you can be very careful with that one. You. <laughs> you know, don't sit in a room alone with him.
2: He's fantastic, and I would recommend him to anyone if they if need somebody to help write a book.
0: Well, we yeah. couldn't sit in a room alone too much because of the COVID thing. So we, I think, when we, it took a few years for him to, you know, get it finished. But in the last year of it, we were had to do the Zoom thing, and you know,
2: yeah. Well, and the pandemic, I was
0: just sitting at home, and he was at home. We
2: had plenty of time. We just sat, and we basically wrote a book over um, FaceTime. Yeah,
1: hmm. well, that's pretty good. Um, how did you choose some of these stories? Like, when, like what which, which memories uh, would you choose? Like, I'm, I'm trying trying to figure out how you narrowed in because there's probably a whole lot that you left out. So, what what was it that would be particular about something, a memory that you would you would actually include it in the book.
2: I was trying to be relatable, and yeah, you're right. I'm I'm 44, and I have had a, a few lives in one. I, mean, I feel like I've lived three different people's lives at this point. Um, so it would have been hard to pick, and it was hard to pick. So I tried to just find something that most people could relate to, and um, over the years, being open with my story, anyway, I've noticed that a lot more people have been, you know abused, whether that's sexually or physically or emotionally or anything, and it's always swept under the rug or tried to be, or told um, it was normalized in some way by the abuser. They're like, oh, this happens. In fact, I told one of the sisters that I was in this one of these foster homes about the beatings and she was like, oh, well, dad whipped us all and just kind of blew it off. And I'm like, "That what happened to you is not what happened to me. So I think uh, I just needed to find something that was relatable and so many people have related to some type of abuse or neglect or um, whatnot. So I p- tried to pick some of the darkest moments there so that they could have, um, so they could see that theirs might not be as bad as they think it is. You know, I try to really drive it home that it's all relative and you are the one that gets to choose that. Each, each and every one of us gets to choose how um, relative that these memories are to us. So I tried to find the the ones that everybody would relate to or that many mm-hmm. do, do, do you,
1: um, like you've been through so much, do you find that, um, you recognize other people for what they've been through without even really getting to know them just by maybe very quickly. Yeah? And I
2: think that, like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I think that, um, people, ex- people will show you who they are they, very suddenly, if you pay attention, I know that is a cliche, but, People will show you by their mannerisms, by how they touch you, or how they don't touch you, or how they look at your eyes, or how they react if you move too quickly around them. By I mean, people, you can see who's who's wounded. And I think we all can if you tap into your own um, just empathy. Yeah, but I think that people can really see, recognize these broken souls if you're if you're wanting to see that. One hundred percent. And also, I find that uh, those people find you. If, if people will latch onto you. If they can sell it, you're a um, a kind person that they can they feel safe around. They will find you if you're just looking, I think. And, you know, I did the, another one interview, and I actually – the guy kind of reached out to me during the interview about something that he'd done. He had had struggles with, and I just – I didn't pay attention to it until I re-listened to the interview, and I realized that I had just blown right over what he was trying to tell me. So – um it's just more of a just really paying attention and listening with your heart. Then, then these people will find you.
1: Well, you you must think you must see a lot of people that go through denial, especially about
2: sexual abuse. Yeah, they rationalize it a lot, and especially um, people that end up, if it's happened by someone that they love, they still tend to. It seems like their love for that person overcomes the um, the fact that that person abused them. They would rather. Love them, and that's a beautiful thing about mankind. But it's also very uh, self-deprecating, very dangerous, it's kind of like like the Stockholm syndrome almost. But um, yeah, I, I I think that um, everybody needs to reach out this way.
1: Hmm. I it's it's a real real interesting story. Now, I I don't know um, what happened to your mother. So, is your mother still alive?
2: My mother now she was killed six years ago. No, six. Yeah.
1: Okay. Did you did you ever mend your relationship with her, or
2: how do you? I sp- did. You didn't. I did. The oh, mother, you did. I think the universe kind of brought made this happen because just a few months before she died, I hadn't seen her for a while, and she came to stay with me on my farm. And her and I, she also, you know, she was part of a cycle, so she had really dealt with a lot of abuse in her life that she had uh, romanticized somehow because it happened from her father. So she tried to, she tried to just love her father past that. And, um, I was really able to use the skills that I had acquired in my life to help her. And for once, and finally she realized that what her dad had done to her was abuse and that, um, it's okay for her to cry about it and realize that the life that she had had was um, not her choice. And I think that we, we were able to do a lot of healing. And we just sat there for hours on my back porch on my little farmhouse in Arkansas. And we sat there for many nights and many hours just um, talking and healing and healing. And I felt like we were in a beautiful place for once. And um, that was the last time I saw her. So I think the universe gave me a, a beautiful gift there in helping her heal just before she was killed.
1: So so that's really important. Like in a case like this, um, to I I, I don't want to say challenge, but maybe face the demons, face the people that abused you in a way.
2: I think so. I think um, you can take it. We can take a lesson from the AA stuff where they say they go back to make amends. Except, um, I mean, I think that there's nothing wrong with us reaching out to our abusers to make a to make amends as well and just give them an opportunity to see themselves through your eyes in the reflection of your own eyes. Um, and maybe that can cause them to get help. I mean, you never know. The main thing is it needs to end and it, that person's going to abuse until it get they get help and, um, until someone calls them out on it. And if they don't, then they need to be, they need to be kept away from some people so they can't be hurt. They yeah. can't hurt others. I
1: mean, yeah, yeah. So so, what do you think of the whole um, system in the States for fostering and, and things like that? And, and w- was there any help for you um, going through all these challenges?
2: I well, imagine there's been a lot of changes since our case. And, in fact, in 1980, our case was one of the largest in the U.S., and it, we added three new laws to um, what, what constitutes as abuse and um, some guidelines for foster parenting. So I can't speak as of what it is today since I'm not involved in the foster care system. But back whenever I was in it, it was very neglectful, extremely neglectful. Um, but I have heard that they've got, had leaps and bounds. And, and I believe that their heart, you know, they're out there to do good. But they, they have been paying a lot more attention. To um, the kids and not just the adults. I've noticed that they've been listening and, and people will take the kids' word over the adults. Whereas when I was in, the kids had no voice. I think that, that a lot has changed.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. You know, uh, I think so too. But um, so what, what, what would you recommend for someone that's uh, going through some sort of challenge like this, that what you went through and, and, and that? What, what did you do to cope? Like, uh, what was your coping method?
2: I felt I'm an artist. I'm a I am I draw and I paint and i have pretty much anything art. So I would find myself hiding away in, in my art. I also um, would definitely reach out for the hands that were reaching out for me. You know I I would look for people that were there to help and, and um, not not just the ones that look like they were there to help. You know I would actively pay attention. To giving a, getting getting having a life of abuse gives you sit six sense of survival so that uh you are able to spot the ones that are safe so i would i would suggest to reach out even if you're an adult surviving um your memories of anything i would just reach out to anybody you can and just start talking no matter how painful it is you have to start speaking and talking and actively find your patterns in your life and find out what how it's still residuating in you whether you find yourself crying often, or angry often, or just staying away and far away from people, um, check your patterns and and see how healed you are. And there's no reason not to heal. I would I would strongly suggest just actively finding your flaws or or the pain that someone else put there and and heal it. Because at a certain point, if you are an adult and you are still dealing with this pain and Of what someone did to you as a child then you are the one that's causing yourself to be a victim you are victimizing your own self because you have not done the legwork to go out and 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 heal yourself and fix yourself so you're choosing to be a victim every single day if you're not working on it the same way you can choose to be happy every single day no matter how big or small these decisions are you're choosing them whether you know it or not so i would suggest um minding be keeping in mind your patterns and also just reaching out for anyone who might want to listen or anyone who, who um, you want to talk to, honestly, just yes. reach out. Well,
1: I would, I would think, you know, that um, like, you know, just like the co-host Dave here, just a, a big drinker. I, I would, <laughs> I could, I, I could imagine that it would be easy to fall into the drinking or drug sort of pattern to kind of, rather than face the demons himself and did you did you come across that yourself Were you tempted to go down that road
2: oh i was a raging drunk through my early 20s but oh, i goodness. kept it i kept well not really I just had, I, I drank a lot it's more social and i think it was more of the age but i was actually raising my son so i would have to be babysitter and, and um go out or whatnot or his mom would keep him or my sister or someone so i i um I realized that I was just kind of numbing some things back then I didn't realize it, or I felt like I had to be doing that in order to um, entertain my friends and keep my friends around or something like that. But I kind of guess it goes back to those patterns. And once you realize it, you know, like Oprah says, once you know better, you do better. (laughs) Yeah. That's what, yeah. So it is, it's definitely a pattern in most abused people that they find one way or another to, dull the pain, whether that's drugs, sex, um, food, you know, just like, I think it just, again, goes all the way back to your patterns and just paying being wanting to be a better you. You know, there's no reason not to be a better you. So stay, stay focused on who you are and what you're doing. And, and if your relationships are failing over and over, you know, that's probably a trigger. I had to take two and a half years off from dating at all because I realized I was making a pattern of the same type of people and the same type of thing, so I just shut it down and, and focused on myself. But that's my that's my only advice is just what patterns. And also, if if you're seeing yourself in a, in some a pattern that has to do with alcohol or drugs or something like that, that will end up killing you. You absolutely need to reach out for help.
1: Yeah, yeah, very yeah. common. Right, right. Uh, see, Dave, don't Dave. go through the drive-through. He
2: just—he's
1: so bad. He goes through the <laughs> drive thru to get through. cocktails. Uh, my God! Oh. oh, it's terrible! It's terrible. Tie him down. Um, well, that's—you know—it's—it's it's kind of—it's kind of interesting, but um, in the—in the fact that you—you you seem to have gone through all of this, and you come out of it kind of on top. Um, what, what? a long ways to go. Oh, yeah. Well, I think life is constantly that way because we deal with change every single day, right? So, yes. uh, there's, there's nothing perfect about it. It's the experience of going through it. So we just have to keep facing it, um, every day. Um, we just don't want to be going through the drive through. That's all every day. <laughs> <laughs> but we do, you know, we have to face it. Um, what would your advice be to someone, uh, right now, today? If um, if they can't seem to find any help, can't seem to find anybody around, and they have sort of these these things going on, like one of them, even just even the sexual abuse or someone beating them, or just in any in any way of, of, at all, what what would you suggest for them to do? What hope is there
2: if they can't find anyone to help them?
1: Yeah, kind, of, kind of, I find that. Um, a lot of times this sort of isolates people um, you know uh, they don't want to talk to people if, if they are going to school or whatever whoever is around them I I, I don't know was this true with you Did, I, didn't, didn't it sort of isolate you
2: I had I think I know what you're saying I have um, well, no, I had siblings at one point and then um, that were going through the same thing with me yeah and then at the once I was in another home where I couldn't I tried to say, but you end up learning not to um, speak out because then you get more abused because the odds of them believing you over your parent are, is very slim, whether that's your natural parent or not. But I would think if you absolutely can't find anybody, which would be very rare because there are people always around. If you absolutely couldn't find anybody, I would just say find it within yourself. You know, not just quote Mariah Carey, but there's a hero inside you. And I, th- I truly think I tapped into my inner... Inter, internal hero so for those that are going through it now just think Just you, everything you need to know is already inside of you if you can't find someone on the outside reach right there inside you and find your strengths whether it's just one small thing that you think is your strength feed it you know nurture that one strength and the rest will grow you will grow and it's only temporary you know you if you're a child and this is happening to you then um, you're going to grow up and you can get out the moment I turned 18 I left and I said, the rest is up to me. But up until then, I had to hide in my art. I hid in, my, I hid in the woods. I just would kind of hide in my imagination. I would find my safe place and, and hide in my imagination, find the beauty in the smallest things I possibly could. So I think that um, if you listen to your soul, everything's in there. And it's going to help you come out. It's going to help you be stronger. And you're going to end up with an amazing tool belt to have a beautiful life if you so choose.
1: Well I don't know, the kids nowadays don't want to leave till they're thirty five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: true. <laughs> That'll be a tough one. Uh I don't know. That's just me. Um so so how's life now? What do you, what, what have you done um Britney Spears hair? You know, you do hair for the celebrities. <laughs> I'm just wondering, you know. I was
2: I was next door to her the day she shaved her head though. I heard her screaming on her balcony and oh. all of her friends <laughs> screaming about her and everything. Um Screaming, what have you done? What have you done? And it was a big, crazy thing. But no, I've never done her hair, although I would love to. She's a doll. Um, I've done um, many that I can't speak about because you signed the NDA and, and whatnot. But I do have um, Marie Osmond is one, one of my favorite people on this planet. And she and I, she's put quotes in the book and everything. She's a fantastic um, person. And, and many more. I think I talked about Farah spoke about Farrah Fawcett and Elizabeth Taylor in my book. A few of those, and that's a little bit older Hollywood, but um, some of the new ones, newer ones I can't really say, but anyway, you asked me how life is, and life is absolutely amazing, I'm married to a wonderful, healthy, kind man, Um, I have a, I'm an artist, a writer now, and a celebrity stylist, so I'm absolutely having um, the time of my life, I have three amazing grandbabies, one of which is named after me, and I'm sitting here at my son's house and his uh, girlfriend is here as well. And they um, are just my whole heart. So life is absolutely amazing. And my husband and I travel the world. We've, Like I said, we've been around the, the globe twice as of now. And um, I just can't think of one bad thing that's happening in my life. Other than I'm just getting older and things hurt. But, yeah, well, <laughs> but yeah. other than that, I mean, life is good. And, you know, yeah. I, and it just didn't happen. I, I actively made it this good this was not luck this is what anyone can do and I'm just loving life I live in Brentwood California it's sunny every single day and I get to um, spend a week with my grandkids every six weeks when I fly to Arkansas and um
1: and you're friends with I, Rick
2: I'm friends with Rick you know <laughs> you invite these beautiful people into your life and I feel definitely very lucky that Rick is in my life yeah
1: it's pretty amazing uh- <laughs> wow
0: So As you know <laughs> in your life oh and he gets to be on great radio shows like yours yeah yeah big girl
1: yeah big so so what's next where where do you see yourself going with this because then this is kind of taking off for you changing the stars you know the book uh the whole you're, you're going to be doing some speaking and stuff like that it seems to have caught caught on with some people um Where do you see yourself going? Are you going to do more books like this or more go further? Well, I
2: think that I would love to do a children's book. And and as an artist, I can illustrate it myself. And that would just, you know, admire another passion. So I think once the, um, wherever this book takes me, Changing the Stars takes me, um, we'll see. I'll do that as much as you can and try to get it, you know, get that message out as much as I could. And then um, once that fizzles down a little bit, I'm going to start working on a children's book and just try to help these kids and, and try to do the same message more of a, in a, ch- in a children's language. So that yeah. would be nice, but I definitely think that this has changed me and I, I feel a new passion um, for my old passion. Yeah.
1: <laughs> do, you, no, do, do you have a website? Do you have some sort of place that you like people to go uh, to find out more about you, more about the book, more about your life? I
2: have a Facebook page and it's at Cody Reniger. Um, there's a, Cody Renegar, changing the stars. So I did, I have I have some Facebook pages in place. Um, Rick, what's do you know which one is? There's one of them is. They're both code. If you just type in my name, Cody well, Reniger, it's all gonna one I think up. you
0: just have it as changing the stars, um, and the other one is yeah, Cody Reniger. I know you have the two on there, but um, and then the so they can get information from those. And the book is on Amazon, so people can also go on there to to find that and more information on that. But um. Uh, you also have an artist page, don't you? Or... Yeah, I mean,
2: I'm all over social media, Facebook and and, um, and Instagram. Instagram. What, what is your Instagram? Is it at Cody
0: Renegar? Do you know? There's
2: Yeah, there's an at Cody Renegar, I think. I, so I have a lady in Florida that's helping me run, run my Instagram. So it's at Cody Renegar. Um, if you just type that in, it, it comes right up. And that'll also take you to my Facebook page. Great. Because I think they're linked.
1: Well, we'll have that all figured out, and we'll hold it up for people, so when they're listening, they can okay. find you in one click and stuff like that. So tell yeah, us, okay. Marie Osman, is she really uh, on that diet, Nutrisystem, system? Or?
2: Oh, yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> she, she will, if you spend five minutes with her, she will be, be force-feeding you this stuff, too. And it's all very good. It's kind of shocking how good that, that is. But she's um, – you know, she has, Marie Osmond has like an eight pack. She's got abs for days, and she, it's from her diet, it's amazing, but she has abs like you wouldn't believe, and she says it's from singing, but I'm like, I sing in the shower all the time, and I've only <laughs> got one ab at this point. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you got to she really? Is she
0: really,
2: <laughs> is she really a the
0: country? <laughs> yeah, she does. She likes, she likes to
2: think of herself as a little honky-tonk. She likes, or so, yeah, she's she definitely, um, the, where she lacks in being country, she makes up with um, wanting to be country.
1: <laughs> well, there definitely. you go. I still want to know about Brittany. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, so, um, I'm just, has this COVID um, affected your your mood or your ability to, to write at all? Did it have any effect I on I think your
2: it, life? it didn't, it, it fueled me a little bit more because I noticed that so many people are getting, I think they've all just reached their point in A lot of people were struggling, a lot of people who already were struggling with depression and and whatnot, or, you know, it's just made it worse for them. And so I felt like I needed to really hurry up because I've been writing this book for six years. And and during the pandemic, the more I felt this pressure and everybody else just feeling so um, overwhelmed. I just wanted to really get as much optimism out into the world as I possibly could. And I think I have.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah, and when you look back, if you look back at your book now, is there anything you would change?
2: Hmm. Well, no, I don't think so. And I am I'm, I'm actually don't, I don't think I'm in that place yet since I did just launch it two weeks ago. I think that um, the, some of the feedback is people want more. They keep telling me, they say that it was, it's um, been very powerful and that when they close it, they so wanted to know more about my sister Sue, which I could have added some more detail um, I think I could have just maybe said more positive I don't know maybe I left room for a second book. who knows mm, but there you go yeah you know, i don't i am, I'm not in a place where I have regrets yet and if I do find myself with regrets I'll just write another book
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go well how how is it with your siblings now? Are you guys doing okay? Oh uh well, you're gonna have to read the book
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, my sister I have a sister that I'm very close to she's the one that's just older than me. And I dedicated my book to my sister. Because her and I are very close. We survived this place together, and and I probably wouldn't have survived had it not been for her. Because at times she was the only one that was a, that was there that could feed me. Even though she's three years older than me, she was she feeding me, changing my diapers. You know, we lived under a bridge. So her and I are very close. I have another an older sister that we're also close. She ended up kind of joining. What for lack of a better word, a cult, and lives in the woods in Missouri, and is very involved in this, this thing. So her and I don't really, we text from time to time, but we, we truly speak different languages because she still identifies as, a, as a, a victim, and she she likes that. She wants to be there. She wants to woe. So I guess in a way, I wrote this book for her as well. But um, then my youngest brother has just been in and out of prison, in and out of prison, and then now he's homeless in Denver, and he wants to be homeless. He drinks a, a handle of vodka every day, and he, he just well that's who he wants to be. And obviously, he's not going to live long at that rate. And then my other brother has been in and out of prison for 20 years as well. So it's just me and my older sister, Sue, and we are very close. And she has two amazing kids that are my niece and nephew, and they are grown and have kids of their own. And we're all very close. Very small, close-knit family as it turns out to be.
1: Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty – um quite the story and um, I appreciate you doing it, doing the book and coming on the show Um,
2: I really appreciate this, helping me get the word out Oh, that's what we do here
1: Um, okay, well, our guest has been uh, Cody Reniger and the book is Changing the Stars, it's a memoir thank you for being on the show
2: thank you very much, have a great day
1: thanks Cody